0: If you would, please, to John chapter 12, John chapter 12. As we begin our time together this morning uh, in the the word, I want to draw your attention to the fact that this week is the week of our our missions conference. Our missions conference is... uh, an important part of of the ministry here in our church. Some of you are are newer to our church, um, and some of you have been here for a long, long time. Much is made of missions conferences in many Baptist churches, and I think that it's important that much should be made. But often missions conferences are accompanied with a great deal of of uh, fanfare for the sake of motivating people to be involved in missions. In other words, there's typically a pretty significant spectacle. There's often some kind of a, a thing that moves and you get to watch the progress and, and, you know, their cards are handed out and give, 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 that type of a thing. And I've never been able to be um, comfortable personally in my heart. I just wouldn't be able to stand before the Lord Jesus having, having done that type of a thing. I just don't think that that's uh, uh, how we should uh, accomplish uh, grace giving. I think it should be something that we have a heart's desire for each and every one of us. But I, I really do uh, desire that our entire church family would understand the significance of giving to missions you know your tithe is is that which uh just a tenth just you acknowledging that everything i have god gives me and i give him the first fruits you know understanding if you understand the idea behind the tithe that it isn't god wants some of your money god wants the first of it that you'd acknowledge that all of it is his and he gave it to you and that's true it's hard for some people to enter into that well i worked hard all week to enter to, to earn that uh therefore it's mine you know you know Go ahead and, and tell Billy Harris that, if you understand what I'm saying. A man who can't work the way he used to work because he doesn't have the physical ability to do it anymore. Everything you have, everything I have, all the things that we have are from God. The ability to live, all of these things are clearly from God. And it, and you know I remember as a young Christian having our pastor uh, say that the idea of uh, not wanting to give the tithe or arguing with God about giving the tithe just demonstrates how ungrateful you would be that you'd have that argument with God. But, But missions is not of necessity. In other words, grace giving, giving so that missionaries can go throughout the world, is not part of the tithe. It is something that God would have you to want to be involved with. It literally is a voluntary thing. It's a voluntary offering. And therefore, it should be treated as such. God wants us to be involved with this, but he wants us to be involved in this because of what he's doing. And it is really our privilege to be involved in partnering in his heart to send the gospel all over the world. Now, again, we'll have, we'll have meetings on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We'll have special times on Saturday. And then the missionaries, of course, will be with us on Sunday morning and Sunday evening also next week. And I really would ask you, and I mean this, I don't know how to say it other than... I would that you had a desire to be here Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at 7 o'clock and involved in the activities on Saturday. Again, we're not going to take, we don't count, we don't keep track of it. The first time we had a missionary come in to, well, I was the pastor. The first time we had a missionary come in, instead of having missionaries in, the first time we had a missionary come in to speak all week long, literally on the idea of grace giving, The first thing he said when he arrived, we sat in my office and we were meeting, and he asked this question. He said, Pastor, what is your goal for missions this year? And I said, 100%. And he said, No, what figure are you looking for? I said, I'm not looking for any figure. I'm looking for 100%. He said, My desire is that all of the members of our church would have a desire to be involved and to have an increase in giving to missions. That's my heart's desire. And the reason that, that, and listen, nobody has any idea. We don't even talk about how much we give or how many missionaries support inside the church. So we surely don't talk about it outside the church. Because I think that, I don't think that's wise. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, where there's nothing that we, anything that we give, we give by the grace of God anyway. So there's no reason to boast in it. But I really, I really do, it is my prayer. It is my, it is my uh, strong desire that you, that each one of us, that our young people would begin to now, that we would bring them, that it would not be a burdensome time; It would be a glorious time. You know, there are many missionaries who we'll spend this week with, some of whom have retired. We're going to have a missionary with us who served their whole life. His wife can't even come this week because she's not strong enough to be here, but he's going to come. In fact, he's only going to come for the last couple of days so he doesn't leave his wife alone for an extended period of time. And we have an opportunity to pour out love and blessing into his life after he has served the Lord for so many years. And we have other missionaries that are in in the midst of their service for the Lord. And then we have a couple who are on deputation now looking for the last few churches to partner with them so that they can go and be on the field and serve our Lord Jesus. And those are the people that are gonna be with us this, this week. But I want to say, before, before I um, um, just plead with you to come, I want you to understand how much, how much the gospel going to all the world means to our Lord Jesus himself. Because, see, this is really why this matters. This matters because it is the fulfilling of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter, in John, uh, chapter uh, 12... If you go to the very beginning of John chapter 12, the very beginning of John chapter 12, it's a long chapter, but I'm not going to preach for a long time. It is a long chapter, but I'm just going to point out a couple of things I'd like you to see. In John chapter 12, beginning at the very beginning of the chapter in verse 1, you'll notice this. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but what I want you to notice is this is six days before the Passover. Now, this is significant because in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the vast majority of each one of those revelations exposes the public ministry of our Lord Jesus. In John, the public ministry of our Lord Jesus is actually going to end here in chapter 12, And starting in chapter 13, it's all he's going to focus, God is going to focus on that last week and the time that our Lord Jesus spends with his disciples. And it's really, really significant. We don't have time to teach and preach about all of that. But you should put a little line somewhere in your Bible after chapter 12 and said, you know, on one side of it, it's the public ministry of our Lord Jesus. The other one is going to be the private ministry of our Lord Jesus directly to his disciples. And oh, how sweet it is when you understand that these things that he's saying in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, primarily in 17, as you get there, 18, I go on and on and on. These things he's saying to those who are already following him. But here in this chapter, you begin to see uh, very, very clearly how significant this is to him. And so here you see that he's gone to eat at Lazarus' house with, with uh, Mary and Martha, and uh, Mary's going to uh, break this, this, the ointment, remember, she's going to put it on his feet, and Judas Iscariot's going to show kind of who he is in his heart by being upset about this, and the Lord Jesus is going to say in verse 7, let her alone. Uh, she knows what's going on. It's really remarkable. Let her alone. She knows what's happening a week before it happens. uh, Not many of the disciples understood what happened even after it happened, but Mary understood it before it had happened. It's remarkable. It's remarkable how few of the children of God really, really. Walk with our Lord in such a way as to really understand what God is doing. And that's and that's true of all of us. And it, it would be wonderful if we would have such a walk with our Lord Jesus that the things that are going on in our life would simply be part of our everyday walk. They are anyway, but that we would be entering into it, that we would have that joy, that we would have the fullness of these things. So I just want you to see where this begins. Then, if you go on to verse 12, on the next day. Much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, Jesus is leaving Bethany and traveling to Jerusalem. In verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed be the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. So, here we see all of Israel, most all of Israel. And Jesus, when he found a young ass set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. So here he comes in humility, not riding in on a charger, not riding in on a great big horse, but riding in on a little donkey, a, a young donkey even. You can just, I mean, it's, am- it's amazing if you can picture this. Here the Lord Jesus a full grown man riding on an animal that's, that's basically big enough to carry him, but he does not look. Um, majestic. He is not high and lofty. He does not have great power in his brow, if you understand. And what we don't understand, we don't understand, men do not understand what real authority looks like, what real power looks like. And because of that, we see his humiliation as humiliating, but it isn't because he's still the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, in the book of Revelation, when he comes the next time, he will come in glory. He will come in majesty, and he will be riding on a white horse. But he is glorious here, coming in in his humility. And boy, do we need to understand how significant his humility is on our behalf as he comes in to the city. Now, so all of this is going on, and it says... um, these, the disciples don't know what's going on, but the people are all excited because of the miracles that Jesus has done. And here he is coming in just before the Passover, and they're expecting that he's going to take the throne, that he's going to be an almighty king, that he's going to put down the Romans, that he's going to put down all of their enemies, that Israel is going to return to the glory that they had when David was king. And they're all excited about this, but that's not what he's coming to do. But notice how the Pharisees don't understand. In verse nineteen, we'll just uh, it says the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, "Perceive, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him." See, they were trying to shut this down. They were trying. They, they had. They had. It's a remarkable thing. They had sent. Uh, group after group after group, plot after plot after plot. They had tried to discredit him. They had tried to confuse him. They had tried to kill him. They had tried all of these things to stop this from happening. And they actually believe that as he's coming... Listen, they actually believe, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel actually believe that Christ coming into Jerusalem is a dangerous and scary thing. How terrible this is. That he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's at the beginning of this book. I want you to notice what happens in verse 20. And there came certain Greeks among them. So Jesus has come in. He's now in Jerusalem. And certain Greeks have come to the disciples. And certain Greeks among them, and there were certain Greeks among them, that came to worship at the feast. And and, and the same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, now you want to put a big box around this in your Bible, sir, we would see Jesus. Amen. Amen? Listen, the Pharisees want to put him to death, but the Gentiles want to see Jesus. And I'll tell you what, this is not the most remarkable thing about this passage, because the most remarkable thing about this passage is how much Jesus wants to meet the Gentiles. And we're going to see his answer to this. And, and when, you, when you first read it, if you're a young Christian, if you're young, well, if, if, since if this is the first time you're really paying attention to it, you're going to have an understanding because I'm about to give you one. But if you read this before without an understanding, you'd say, I don't understand his answer. Why didn't he go see them? Because let's look and see what happens. We would see Jesus. The same came, therefore, to Philip. This is in verse uh, 21. Uh, and said that, and in verse twenty-two, Philip cameth and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So they come to Jesus and they say this, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. Now, if you have followed this phrase, Mine hour has not yet come, has come up over and over and over again. Mine hour is not yet come. The time for him to be put to death had not yet come. But when he says this, the hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, notice what he says about this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What our Lord Jesus is speaking about here is this The Gentiles want to see Jesus, and Jesus wants the Gentiles. To see him. But in order for the Gentiles to see him, indeed, in order for the Gentiles to be with him, in fact, in order for the Jews, even those that are rejecting him, in order for them to see him, in order for them to be with him, he has to die. And this is why, if Jesus doesn't die, he is already the living kernel of corn. He's the only one, the, the, the living kernel of wheat. doesn't matter which, which, which one you want to make it. Jesus is the only one alive around him. He's the only one that has life. And if he doesn't pay for everyone's sins, no one else can have life. No one else can have life. And I want you to understand this. And if he doesn't die for us as man, he's the only man. That would be in heaven. The only man that would be in heaven would be the God man. If he doesn't die for mankind. No other men or women or children will be able to be there. And he would remain alone. But he's not going to remain alone. Amen. And what I want you to understand is how. As, if, you, if we had if, just for a moment. Any sense of the desire. That the Lord Jesus has. To save us. If you had any idea how great this is to him, how much this means to him, I am going to lay down my life. And I am going to lay down my life so those very Gentiles that came and said we would see Jesus, they'll be able to see Jesus. They'll be able to know me. They will be able to have a relationship with me and not just with me but with my father because I am not going to abide alone. I am going to lay down and die. And when I lay down and die, it will what? Bring forth much fruit. It will bring forth much fruit. In fact, there's a a great deal of fruit in the very room that we are in. All all of us, every single one of us that are new creatures, all of us that have peace with God, all of us that have a genuine hope of heaven, every single one of us are Gentiles. And we're here because Jesus didn't get down off the cross. They asked him, prove that you are God. You say you're the son of God, prove that you're the son of God by getting down. And I, I know I've said this before, but he could have easily said, I'm going to prove that I'm the son of God by not getting down, by not. If he gets down, if he get, listen, hear me. If Jesus gets down on the, off the cross, and he could have if he wanted to, but if he did, then judgment has to start right then. There is no salvation By the way, there are those who are expecting salvation who are waiting in Abraham's bosom. They are waiting to be set free. They are waiting to be released. They are waiting for their captivity to be taken away and for the Lord Jesus to lead them into heaven. They are waiting for their Messiah, the Christ, to rescue them, and he's going to rescue them. Amen. All that have gone to sleep before Christ came to earth, trusting in the Messiah that is coming, are waiting for the Messiah to accomplish their salvation, and he's going to accomplish their salvation. And all of us that have not even yet been born, he's going to accomplish our salvation also. Verily, verily, I say unto you, doesn't matter what anybody I'm telling you it doesn't matter what anybody else says unto you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says unto you. It matters what Jesus says unto you. Remember earlier, the woman who was taken in adultery, they come and they, and they, and they challenge him, saying basically, uh, Moses said that she should be stoned. What do you say? And of course, it's a no-win situation. Because if he says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then they can say, oh, where's this love this guy's been preaching about all the time? And if he says, no, no, you can't stone her, then they're going to say, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the law of God. So it's a no-win situation. And all he says is, well, whichever one of you is without sin, you go ahead and stone her. And they all drop their rocks and walk away. Now, I know I've said this a lot of times, but boy, what a a blessing it would have been for each one of them if instead of dropping their rocks and walk away, if they had dropped their rocks and kneeled down beside that woman and said, whatever you say to her, you're going to have to say to me too. Because I'm just as guilty as she is. And by the way, he's going to forgive her. He's going to set her free. And if they had just knelt down instead of walking away in their arrogance, Jesus would have set them free also. These same Pharisees are going to say to him, are we blind also? And his answer is, no, no, you're not. You're not. Because you're not, I can't help you. If you knew you were blind, I could give you sight. But because you think you can see, you're going to remain in your blindness. And by the way, America is full of the same blindness today. The world is full of a blindness. You know, I saw a bumper sticker years ago that said, born right the first time. And, of course, the only purpose for that bumper sticker is to, is, is to basically make fun of those of us that are born again. Born right the first time. And I thought, well, you'd have to be Jesus. Yeah. And he's not driving that car, I promise you. <laughs> Amen? Born right the first time. None of us were born right the first time. None of us. None of us have lived right. None of us have lived right. None of us have lived right. Thank God, thank God that his response to those, that the Gentiles, the Gentiles would see Jesus. He says, and they will, and they will. And I will save them, and I will rescue them, and I'm going to accomplish that. Now, what I want you to notice is what he says after that. He that loveth his life, because there isn't just the overwhelming joy that our Lord Jesus is our Savior in this passage, and there is overwhelming joy, but I want you to notice what he says concerning this. he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life. And the word here for hate is not loathe. The word here for hate is actually misery. So this is what it says. Listen, he that loves his life shall lose it. But he that recognizes that the life that he has naturally is miserable. That's what he's saying. Those of you that realize that natural life alone, chasing down all the world has to offer, that it is miserable. That's what he's saying. So he that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that realizes and hateth his life in this world shall keep it until life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. That where I am, there he shall also my servant be. If any man shall serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. Now this is remarkable. We're still a few days away from him laying down his life on our behalf. And he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I. this hour now listen to this and listen to the words of our lord jesus instead of father save me from this hour father glorify thy name and this is the answer from heaven then came there a voice from heaven saying i have both glorified it and will glorify it amen amen now i'm not going to spend much time this morning it's it's time for us to be done this morning What I want you to understand is this. If you're a new creature, if you're born again, then you're born again because Jesus laid down his life. There are many people who aren't born again. And as Kenny sang, as the Father has sent him, so sends he us. Yes? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes? 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 Now listen, listen. In order for this to be true, the Macedonians gave, a, they had no money. Poor, poor people. They had no money. They had to, literally, I'm not exaggerating, they had to beg Paul to take their offering. Please take our money and give it, to the, give it to those who are ministering in need. Please go give this to those who are ministering in need. And his answer to them was, you can't give this kind of money. You don't have this kind of money. You keep this money. And they say, no. They beg him, they literally beg him, no, take it. But his testimony, listen, was not about the money. Though The money is significant, and he talks about the fact that the money is significant. He says, but before they did this, they'd already given their own selves, their own lives. They'd already, listen, they, listen, listen. I've had a lot of conversations in the last, oh, I've had a lot of conversations since I've been in the ministry But in this last few weeks, let's say last few months, we have a lot of our parents, parents now for many of us, who are reaching the end. We have more than one uh, family in our church who is under hospice care right now. I got a phone call uh, from my sister uh, yesterday saying that my mother is beginning to uh, uh, display Early signs of dementia. We're all leaving. We're all leaving. You understand that? We're all leaving. Might go like this. You know, I'm going for that one. By the way, that's how I want to leave. Okay, bolt a lightning bus. I don't care. Okay, you know that type of thing. I'd really be fine with going to bed, not waking up in the morning. That would be fine too. Right, Amen. Right? I'm just a coward. Just telling you. Okay. <laughs> I'm all for that. But we're all leaving. We're all leaving. We were reading yesterday, and Mr. Bailey was saying something as we were reading yesterday. And it just, as he was saying what he was talking about in, in, in Joshua, we're looking at Joshua, it just suddenly, suddenly this picture hit me. They're in, the, they're, at the end of the book of Joshua, they have entered into the promised land. And, they're, and, and, the, and the promised land has been divided up and they're living there. And it's really remarkable. But something that was said caused me to remember, because we've been studying on Tuesday night together, of course. On Tuesday night, we've been studying Genesis, And I picture that Abraham is in this land. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So this is your land, but I can't give it to you right now because I'm not going to destroy anybody until they actually have full sin. And then I will bring destruction. And then you guys will have this land and and you will inhabit this land. And I was just picturing in my mind suddenly Abraham walking around. Listen, I'm just picturing Abraham walking around planting seeds. And some of the people, the Amorites or the Canaanites, saying to him, what are you doing? I'm planting these seeds. Why? This is not your land. Yeah, but it will be. Amen? And my great, 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 great cha- grandchildren are going to eat of the, of the vines that, are, that we're going to grow out of this ground. They're going to eat of the trees that are going to grow out of this ground. And the reason that that struck me so much is because this is what God is asking us to do. What he's asking us to do is to late today, 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 during the missions conference this week, all the rest of the day, lay down and die. And it will bring forth much fruit. God promises if we will go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, that we will doubtless come again, rejoicing and bringing our sheaves with us. Amen? And I promise you, you may never see the fruit of what you do as you lay down and die now and let God use your life instead of you. But you will see the fruit later. You will see the fruit later. You will. Somebody, somebody, somebody died. So that we could have the word of God in the English language many people died so that that could be true for us Many people gave their lives so that so that the gospel go, could go from one generation to another And i'm not talking about giving their life being shot some did but that's not what i'm talking about I'm talking about they didn't live selfishly in this age They didn't and here's the, and here's what god is saying to each and every one of us. That's what he says, right? Let's look at it for just a second um Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that recognized the misery. It's really important that you understand that. The word is not low. That word does exist, and it is translated hate, but that's not what this is saying. He that realizes the misery of his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So trying to have all you can get now in this age is not, is not what God wants for us. What he wants us to understand is this is a miserable place. And I know it sounds strange because it's a gorgeous place even with the curse. Yes? No? Yeah? I mean, it's a gorgeous place even with the curse. The the earth is beautiful, gorgeous. There are so many things you could eat. There are so many places you could go. There are so many things that you could do. There's so much that you could buy. And God says, yeah, vanity, vanity, vanity. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Don't live for that, he says. Don't live for this. Don't be fooled by the temporal things. Live for eternity instead. Recognize the misery. And by the way, if you can't recognize the misery of this life, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, I don't mean to be unkind, but I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, this. You know, just if you don't understand the misery of this life, come to the nursing home with me this week, and I'll show you people who nobody ever goes and visits, and they're dying alone, and they have family somewhere, but they don't go see them. Why? Because it interferes with what they want the world to be. That's why. Because going and seeing people in nursing homes, especially people in nursing homes that deal with, with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's patients, going and seeing those really kills your buzz, if you understand what I'm saying. It really ruins your life. Boy, what a drag this place is. Jesus says, go visit these people, the widow and the fatherless. Help them. Care for them. That's what Jesus says. Do you understand? That's it. That's it. Really, that's it. We're done, We're done for this morning. This is such a tremendous truth to me i i don't know when i finally realized that jesus does give an answer to the sir we would see jesus and his answer is this don't worry i'm going to die for them i'm going to die for them they're going they are going to see me i'm going to die for them and by the way here we are right here we are here we are and the gospel listen literally has made its way all around the globe, the gospel has made its way because Jesus will save all men. Let me close with this. If you're still living selfishly, if you're, by the way, if you're not saved, I, I, I don't blame you for living selfishly. You've got nothing else. But I will say this, don't die that way. Don't die that way. And I mean that with all my heart. Don't die that way. But if you are saved, if you are saved, I would ask you this question. Do you really have any joy living for yourself? Really? How's that working out?